0: Welcome to the Prioritizing Prevention, Translating Science to Practice podcast. Our goal is to prioritize prevention conversations that matter. Our topic for today is paying homage to Nothing About Us Without Us with special guests, Tiffany Allen and David Baum. Now here's our host,
1: Holly Raffles.
0: Hello and welcome to
2: Season Two, Episode Two of the Ohio Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Prevention and Promotion podcast: Prioritizing Prevention, Translating Science, Practice. My name is Holly Rappel, Faculty Director of the Center, and for the first time, I am pleased to welcome two guests to the podcast: Tiffany Allen and David Baum are here with me today. Tiffany has been embedded in the Ohio Department of Health Center for Public Health Excellence through a partnership with the Association of State and Territory Health Officers as a disability and preparedness subject matter expert. As a disability advocate who has worked in emergency management for the past 15 years, Tiffany ensures that all activities in the Center for Public Health Experts consider Ohio's most vulnerable residents. Creating a more inclusive, safe, equitable, and accessible Ohio is her number one priority. Welcome Tiffany, we're so glad you're here. Thanks so much, happy to be here. David Ballum is the Director of Services and Support at the Fairfield County Board of Developmental Disabilities in Central Ohio. David started his career as a direct support professional, helping people with developmental disabilities with their daily tasks, and as a residential supervisor in an intermediate care facility for individuals with intellectual disabilities. Since then, David has spent the past 10 years helping individuals and families in Fairfield County access the resources they need. David, you should know that I had the pleasure of sharing a conversation with Chelsea Hardy, one of your coworkers at the board, and she's the one who recommended you podcast. <laughs> and in full disclosure, I didn't realize you're an Ohio University MPA alum until I saw your bio on the website. So, welcome to the podcast, David.
1: Great. Thank you for having me.
2: This month, the center is focusing on disability awareness and prevention. And I am so excited to share this conversation with Tiffany and David to shine a light on considerations for disability populations in the prevention field. Are we ready to dive right in? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Um, Tiffany and David, you both have a wealth of experience working with and for individuals with disabilities. Our listeners are eager to know more about you. So, I'd like you to think about two questions. One, what should our listeners know about you beyond your bio? And what drew you to your career path serving those with disabilities? We'll start with Tiffany and then move to David.
0: Uh, first, let me uh, visually introduce myself. I am a middle aged white woman with long brown hair. It's pulled up into a bun. I'm wearing glasses and sitting at my desk with a blue background. Uh, To answer your questions, uh, I went back to school at 42 years old and I obtained my master's in Homeland Security. Uh, I started a nonprofit this past year called the Foster Friends Project. It's really become my passion project. And last November, I was inducted into the who's who in America. Uh, What drew me to serving people with disabilities I was born with a rare form of muscular dystrophy of my hands and arms. And uh, at the time that I was born, the doctors told my mom, don't ever expect her to feed herself or brush her hair, or brush her teeth. She's not going to be able to live a quote unquote normal life, which is of course was the, the benchmark back in 1976. We didn't live in a, a world where people with disabilities were included wholly and completely and welcomed. Um, and little did I know that that was then going to be my career path. I was ushered into the disability rights movement and ushered into advocacy before I even knew what the word meant. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, your underlying history
2: for getting involved in this field. And um, congratulations on your honor of being adopted into to Thank you. Uh, David, how about you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I guess, you know, just to let everybody know. So I'm not originally from the Fairfield County area. I'm actually from the Northwest part of Ohio, kind of that Finley area about an hour South of Toledo. Um, you know, currently I have a one-year-old daughter, so we're going through the process of what sleep is and kind of how we best get through and manage through this time period. Um, this is a very exciting time for us. So we're about ready to celebrate her one year uh, birthday as well. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, outside of that, I enjoy just kind of sports and ju- and doing just a lot of different things. Um, I am somebody that uh, did run um, a half marathon in two different countries. I I like to tell people that fun fact about me too, which is uh, fun. But um, but yeah, what drew me to this career path is that you know really I got um you know the opportunity and the privilege to meet people with disabilities when I was younger. And my mom was somebody that worked at the local county board and did some enclave work um, with people that actually did um, uh, some food service that were there at the local mu- municipality um, there in, in Finley. So I got to meet some wonderful people and got to see just how great and wonderful it is to uh, just work with people in general, but you know, especially people with disabilities and the the joy that you know, they bring and, and the perspective that they bring too. So that was something that I really enjoyed and kind of got into the DSP. Um, I w- started to work at the local um, intermediate care facility as a DSP, worked with people that, that lived there I uh, got to experience kind of what that was and then moved into a case management role after there and and moved down here to Fairfield County. So um, kind of the rest is history, I guess, as they uh, say it. But, uh, but yeah, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to work with, uh, so many great people and the citizens of, of Ohio.
2: Thank you so much for your service, David, and congratulations on the new addition uh, in your family. That's super exciting. And if our listeners, I just want to clarify, DSC, he is direct service provider. Direct.
1: direct service professional. Professional, I'm sorry. Direct service professional.
2: I'd like to start our conversation today by being a watch in the disability community for the phrase, nothing about us without us. This phrase is often used in the prevention field to emphasize the need for culturally relevant and community-centered practice. Nothing About Us Without Us has a long, important history of serving as a slogan for the disabilities rights movements. Tiffany, you mentioned the disability rights movements uh, in your introduction. So from your experience, what is the historical context
0: for our listeners about the disability rights movement and the importance of the slogan? So actually, the... Nothing about us without us. Slogan, uh, actually, is centuries years old. It started in Europe as a political uh, as a political slogan, and it was then adopted by other activists in other countries. So, but the root of the slogan for the disability community actually came from the South African disability rights movement before the U.S. adopted it for our own. So, it's imperative to acknowledge that. The people who live with the challenges are the experts. No government agency or organization can ever make decisions on personhood without the input of those who are personally affected. Um, and there's actually a really powerful documentary on Netflix on the disability rights movement. And it's called The Crip Camp. Um, and I highly recommend watching it. it. For anyone who interacts with individuals that live with a disability, understanding where we came from is imperative to knowing how we proceed on this journey of support for people with disabilities and those with lived experience. Thank you so much for that background,
2: Tiffany. And we'll make sure to put a link in our show notes uh, for our listeners on that Netflix documentary. We know that many of them are out taking, you know, some mindfulness breaks, they're on walks, so you don't have to stop. when, uh, to our listeners, make sure that you just hit the show notes on um, when you get home and you're in a, in a safe place, especially for those of you who are driving. David, in the prevention field, we recommend that language matters and disabilities are nuanced, intersectional, or diverse. They are members of the disability community who are proud of who they are and do not want their disability to be pregnant or erased. What should our listeners know about individuals with disabilities and the population?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think that it's important to approach this from the lens of, you know, looking at the potential and the purpose that people have, right? Not looking at the disability first, but looking at the potential that people have and what they offer. Um, you know, the statistics that's out there is that, you know, one in four people, about 26% of people in the United States have a disability. So more than likely, you know, it is very common that we would probably know somebody with a disability um, along those lines too, you know, what one person's disability may um, you know, look like maybe different for another person that has maybe the, the same kind of diagnosis. So, you know, understanding that disability is different for each and every person and what that looks like, um, you know, and along those lines too, it's not, don't make assumptions, don't make assumptions along with this, um, this lens to, of uh, you know, we want to be able to see and, and understand that people have potential, people have purpose in their life. And, Being able to understand the fact that there might be some additional supports that may be needed, but people can do the things that they, that they want to do and, and realizing that and, and everything. Um, and you know, I think ultimately too, like get to know people, get to know a person, ask them different questions, get to know and understand exactly what it is that, you know, gets them. What's their favorite thing? Like, what are their strengths? What are their skills and abilities? looking at it from that lens is 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 a is a wonderful way of getting to know just people in general um as well and then just listening and being receptive um opening your eyes to different things opening your uh, you know mind to different ideas and things that maybe are currently being done or maybe that things are were in the past or whatever else and and getting to understand a new perspective then at that point.
0: one thing that's so important everything that david said is invaluable and i also want our listeners to keep in mind that all people want is their own ability to make their decisions and be independent. And we want the same considerations as everyone else gets in this world. So whatever you can do to support an independent existence for someone is where you need to start. Start there. Make sure that they are a part of every conversation. Self-determination is a right that we all have. So don't don't be so overwhelmed by uh supporting them that you lose who they are.
1: Yeah, I think that's wonderful feedback there, Tiffany. To um yeah, th- that that's the ultimate goal, right? And yep. um, and again, I think when we even talk a little bit about the history of people with DD, you know, we're People have been seen as being sick or ill or like they've had these co- negative connotations to to them in previous history. And the fact that, again, understanding where people involving people in that conversation is so important, getting to know who they are, what they like to do, understanding their potential is, is so important and leading towards that that independence and, and self-direction.
2: And uh, so what I'm hearing is it's really important to support people, but it's important to support them in the way they want or need supported, and uh, allowing each individual to voice the support yep. they need as
0: well. You do. You have to meet them where they're at, right? Understanding that no one knows better what they need than them, um, and you are there. We're going to say this word a lot, but support, right? You aren't there to do things for them. You aren't there to make their life better than they can make it themselves. You're there to ensure that they have what they need, the resources, the wraparound services, so that they can determine for themselves or their caretakers can determine for them who know them best um, what they need Mm -hmm. and, and how they can achieve the life that they envision. Because at the end of the day, we all have our own ideas of what we want for our life. And we all have our own, uh, our own special traits that we bring to the table. And if someone is so, if someone is so concerned with making sure that they're checking boxes, then you're missing the opportunity to really get to know some amusing individuals. Absolutely. Thank you both for that important background. Some of our listeners, even though
2: uh, you know that about 26% of the population um, identifies as someone having a disability, they um, not know the key terminology around what disabilities are. As the terminology uh, related to disabilities is often fluid and it depends on what discipline you're trained in or what agency setting that you work for. So Tiffany, overall, how would you define the term disabilities?
0: So disabilities are... Uh, whether you were talking about physical disabilities, they're essentially a limitation on somebody's uh, movement or stamina uh, that could be permanent and lifelong. It could also be uh, what we consider as acquired. If you break your leg, right? You have a physical disability at that moment, not necessarily, obviously a lifelong disability. Then we have developmental disabilities and intellectual disabilities. As if As if the world of disabilities is not confusing enough, (laughs) we have uh, definitions for every one of them. And I also want to make sure that everyone understands that there are are a number of different definitions based on the agencies, right? Based on uh, the agencies or the organizations that serve those individuals with disabilities, but don't get too in the weeds about this. Just understand that disability essentially refers to a, a a challenge in how one lives their lives in the functions that they uh, need for self-sufficiency.
2: Thank you, Tiffany. And I had the privilege of flying uh, to DC to do some prevention advocacy work yesterday when I was in the airport, I noticed um, lanyards with sunflowers on them and signs talking about hidden disabilities. Can you just speak a little bit about hidden disabilities and what that sunflower
0: movement is? Yeah, so I think the sunflower movement is fantastic. Typically people with disabilities don't want to be uh, singled out, but we also need our environments to understand that we may have certain needs that others don't. Um, So the sunflower movement is, is essentially to uh make the public or make their those in their environment aware that they have uh an unseen disability. Uh something that is not as obvious as being in a wheelchair and needing a door to be opened for someone. Um so it's it's my understanding is it's typically for people on the autism spectrum, but uh it can be used for everyone that needs some assistance in some form or fact function in their life that is not obvious to the general public. Thank you so much for clarifying around. I really appreciate that.
2: Let's just for a moment, shift our conversation into risk and protective factors, because that's what our preventionists and our listeners are really wanting to know. And as our conversation has evolved, it's been demonstrated that the disability population encompasses a wide range of experiences and needs. As we think about the possible relationships between disability and behavioral health, the data shows higher rates of depression and substance use among individuals with disability than those without. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration or SAMHSA, people with disabilities can develop substance use disorders for many reasons, including using pain medications prescribed to them to mitigate symptoms associated with self-conditions, or using alcohol to cope with aspects of their disability or to cope with social isolation or depression. And other risk factors are not necessarily unique to the disability community, but exploration is necessary when you think of things such as enabling by caregivers, unemployment, um, education status, socioeconomic status, and um, just little exposure to prevention education. We also found in our research that it's been documented that women with co-occurring disabilities and substance use disorders are at a high risk for experiencing physical abuse and domestic violence. So all that's to say is there's lots of opportunities for the prevention seal to start considering if they haven't already thinking about skills they can add into their prevention toolkit uh, for working with the disability community. In prevention, we look to minimize risk factors and enhance protective factors for individuals and communities in order to prevent negative behavioral health outcomes, such as substance misuse, domestic violence, problem and suicide. From your perspective, can each of you share strategies to increase protective factors across these uh, variety of issues for individuals with disabilities? David, why don't you start and then we'll follow up with Tiffany.
1: Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, and, and this is exactly what Tiffany talked about a little bit earlier, is that we got to involve the person into this discussion. We gotta involve the person in in understanding exactly what's happening. Um, and it goes back to the the premise of why we're here and talking about this, right? Is um nothing about us without us. And so how do we begin that engagement with the person? And and again, you know, there may be some other support systems. I know in our system. You know sometimes we work with guardians or we work with other people that are power of attorneys or those kind of things uh, with a person to help support somebody but ultimately how are we engaging the person in understanding this and i think secondly to some of that too not only just how are we engaging but are we presenting information in a way that they understand so you know the the different material the different uh, ways in which we're explaining things again, is, does that have to be verbally? Does it have to be maybe visually? Is there a way that we can present some different things visually, um, different ways in which we can, um, show videos or do, and sometimes we have to be a little bit creative too, um, in terms of just presenting this information so that way people have it in a way that they understand, um, and can, can know of what are the decisions that need to be made and what kind of consequences are, you know, to those decisions. Again, there's good things and there's, maybe some bad things that could happen with some of those, um, consequences as well. So, you know, another aspect I think to, um, you know, is, is understanding and realizing trauma and that trauma informed care piece of things. Um, I, I know, and, and, and again, I'm talking specifically to developmental disability world here, but you know, the, the aspect of people having some kind of trauma or experiencing some kind of trauma in their life is, is a lot higher for people with disabilities. So you know, understanding or approaching it from a uh, an area of empathy uh, is so important. So instead of maybe asking those questions of, you know, what's wrong with you, it might be more of what, what happened to you? You know, what is your story? You know, what brought you here? Um, and, you know, how have you maybe coped and adapted to to, to different yeah. things? So I think that those are all um, kind of important ways of of doing that. And, and, I, I would just add. Lastly, here is just I didn't find that support system too around the person. How can we help with building uh, that that community support, that other support that that person maybe has around them to engage and help that person as we talk about maybe some of these preventative strategies or just ways in which people can connect and get together and be around the things that they want to be around and talk about, you know, their interests and their likes and and everything else. So, Tiffany, what what are your thoughts?
0: I agree with everything you said. Uh, And on top of that, we also have to talk about logistics, right? How accessible is the care that you're providing? If we're talking about communication, like you just mentioned, David, we also need to talk about the fact that all communication, all information must be equitable, effective, and redundant. So for example, based on the last census, what are the top five predominant languages in your area? And does all of the communication and messaging reflect the language needs of your community? So not only individuals who may be deaf or hard of hearing, but also those who don't speak English, right? And, and, and beyond Spanish, right? If you have a community that uh, is culturally entrenched in uh, a different language, then your messaging and your information needs to reflect that, right? Um, If telehealth is an option for your agency, how does a person overcome the fact that technology can be expensive? And I think that's something that we really learned during COVID, right? Is that people with disabilities live on extremely fixed income a lot of the time, more often than not. And if we're saying, well, we can just, provide telehealth, okay fine, but are the support services there for the expense that comes with technology? Uh, And then also, can your consumers get to their appointments? Transportation is a major hurdle to consistently and routinely accessing services and support. So transportation is a challenge in the disability community. We know this, we speak on it often. What is a more broad challenge is that uh, healthcare workers don't understand what it means to be able to get to an appointment and how hard that can be. So keep that in mind when you're um, assisting or thinking about services provided is, it is not as easy as getting in a car and coming to an office building. Uh, So just be really aware of that, be cognizant of that and understanding of that, that um, this is not, if we go back to the idea that people just want to be independent, right, and live their lives like everyone else in the quote unquote normal world, um, people want to make their appointments and they often really do want to seek assistance and support, but can they physically get there? It's something that you have to consider. And these conversations have to be an ongoing conversation um, in your agencies and organizations. Are there gaps that we can identify that we can then work towards as far as um, making sure that the services we provide are reachable? And the last thing that I, I think I really wanna touch on, it's something in the disability community that we've started to talk about a lot and, It's implicit, it's implicit, or what we also consider unconscious bias, and it's known as ableism. It's not new to somebody who lives with a disability. Um, We understand when we go to the doctor's office that a doctor's office may not be physically accessible for us. But more than that, is what about the individuals that we are working with, right? That we go and we seek assistance and Oftentimes we're met with somebody who unconsciously has a bias of wanting to work with non-disabled people. Um, It's a, it's, it's a conversation that is becoming more robust in our communities. And I, I didn't want this opportunity to pass without us talking about it because speaking about it means that we can no longer say we don't know that it exists, and there are implicit bias tests on online that someone can take or that your staff can take. And I think that anyone who interacts with an individual with disabilities, um, I think it's imperative that they take an implicit bias test because it's it can be really eye opening. So I don't I don't want to leave this this opportunity today without talking about the fact that. Um, we do all have unconscious biases that it's just human nature, but how that affects our interactions with the people that we are meant to serve uh, takes on a whole new meaning. And so I, we have to do the work internally to make sure that we're really showing up for the people that, uh, that we have committed to serving. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for that uh, piece. You're
2: right, and I think prevention specialists and our folks out there and listeners are willing to do the work, and it's just shining a light on on, uh, extending implicit bias beyond race and ethnicity, right? And look at the disability community as well. Um, So I really appreciate that uh, that guidance, Uh, and I know our listeners will appreciate it too. It's just self-disclosure here. I'm so interested in this topic because I began my pre- prevention career when I was in high school. And I always say that um, I didn't pick prevention as a career. It picked me. And when I was in high school, I was part of a group, which we call it, peer counselors back then until we realized, you know, in the early 90s, we probably shouldn't call called 7th through 12th graders counselors. Um, and so we call it now in Ohio, the youth-led prevention And part of this was taking peers and providing them with substance use um, prevention messages, as well as a lot of, um, you know, mental and behavioral health promotion messages into classrooms. And the classroom that I was assigned to was the um, classroom with students with developmental disabilities. And what was interesting is when I first went into the classroom and we had kind of the curriculum and things we were going to do. And like David, my mom was a teacher, so I had, you know, sort of ideas and modifications and things that the teacher really pushed back saying that, you know, you don't need to be here because these students are never going to use substances, right? And, um, and so it was just an interesting um, space for me to be in and be exposed to at 16, 17 years old. And, you know, fast forward today where I'm 50. And, and so I think this is really why I was interested in having this. So I don't know if you've heard ideas like that before, or
0: maybe we've advanced since the early nineties. So I'll just kind of pause there and let you respond. Do people want to do what everybody else is doing? Yes. Are people with disabilities going to do what everybody else is doing? Yes, we wanna participate fully and wholly in our communities. The only thing that limits us are the people or the environment that we're in. So uh, while it's it's wonderful to think that uh, people with disabilities would not engage in substance use, that is not true and that is not so because we are like everyone else, right? I mean, David spoke to that, that we have all of, the same desires and wants and dreams that everyone else has. We are still limited by our environments and by the people that are in our environments. And I can just say, I I encourage our listeners to not be one of those people as well, right? To understand that people with disabilities, want it all and we need the people who are going to support us and in in obtaining
1: it yeah i i appreciate that perspective tiffany and and again Mm -hmm. i i think that this comes back to you know there's a greater societal you know thing that you know people Mm -hmm. have viewed people with disabilities right like society is viewed in in a certain way and i think that that's where individually like the that's why this discussion is so important right is that we start to change our lens in which we see uh, and, and and start seeing people for who they are, they're people. That's and, right. and, and I think that that's the, um, hopefully that's, if you take anything away, right? Like that's that's a great thing to take away from this conversation is that um, people are people. And again, we want to live our lives. Like we want to do the things that everybody else wants to do.
2: For those listeners, I want to recognize that this is the beginning of a conversation within the prevention field and an area where all of us can continue to work on As we park this uh, uh, truck, as I always like to say, I'd like to discuss a few key takeaways for our listeners uh, so they can consider who in their community they might partner with as they consider uh, prevention being an inclusive and accessible service for everyone. So what are some ways community coalitions and prevention providers can partner Partner with county boards of adult disabilities, or other individuals or organizations.
1: Yeah, I, I think that one thing that um, certainly do and and want to encourage is that um, there's different opportunities to provide some cross training. I think between different entities and how do we help kind of bridge a little bit of the gap of breaking down some of the barriers that do exist of understanding exactly what you know. Uh, each entity is doing, whether it is a local JFS office, whether it's the local um, Adam H board, the local DD board, you know, whoever that entity is, I would definitely encourage the fact of doing some cross training and helping to build some of those relationships across the, those different organizations. I know in the in the past we've partnered a little bit with our um, Adam H board to offer the um, question, persuade, and response, the QPR training, everything else. So you know, when we talk about suicide prevention and And how do we provide that training to not only just the, the, maybe the people within our organization, but even recognizing that, um, as a whole, whether it's in our personal or professional lives, I think that those are all great opportunities to, to further that. Um, I, again, I think that, you know, reaching out to county boards, or there's some questions about, you know, how do we start looking at some inclusive or accessible spaces? Um, again, we're, we're one entity, (laughs) so, you know, but. I think that any county board in the state of Ohio will be willing to have some of those conversations, um, as we look at just building some of those universal kind of designs and how do we make it, you know, anything accessible for anybody? Um, you know, I think one unique thing that I'll just talk about that's unique to our county. And again, I think that this could be something that happens in other counties too, but we do partner with our local Adam H, um, and local mental health and, uh, behavioral health a- entities, the jail and other organizations too, where we come together and just talk through some of the multi-system um, people that maybe are, are coming together and, and are kind of served across all these different systems. And how do we come together and best serve this person? And I think that that's a unique way of, you know, best addressing and working across all these different systems um, at times to best need, meet the need of the person. And I think that that's a very unique thing where, again, you have all these different entities from all the different spectrums of, you know, uh, uh, of professional, you know, kind of, uh, county, whether it's county work or city work, whatever else it is, but you know, all these, uh, people coming together to, to look at that. So I think that those are all kind of important kind of things to, to look at as we look to partnering and furthering, you know, how do we make just, again, our community, the citizens of our community, um you know, available to have these resources and everything else. Um, Tiffany, what about some of your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So I would say, make sure that you are building relationships with your local disability subject matter experts. Um, There are a plethora of organizations that are out there that serve um, perhaps one specific disability, like the deaf and hard of hearing centers, right? Are you interacting with or do you have a relationship with your local BA, right? I, I often tell people when I do trainings, right? The quality of your services are only as good as the people that are sitting around your table. And here's what I want everyone to know. <laughs> um, take a deep breath because no one expects you to know everything. It's, it's impossible. Right, we, we know that even same diagnoses present differently. So your job is not to have all the answers, but your job is to make sure that you know who might. So make sure that you build those relationships because I'll tell you what, there could be a day that you get um, some sort of challenge that crosses your desk and you just don't know what to do. Um, and that's okay right? But what matters is that you know who might be able to give you the best advice possible for that person. So don't be afraid to ask. I am infinitely better at what I do because of the people I surround myself with. Uh, So I really want to encourage you, whether it's creating a disability task force or making sure that you have some sort of working group, your jurisdiction your county, your area is going to be so much better off for the relationships that are built between agencies and organizations, right? We hear so many times people say in frustration, like, ah, government, right? The right hand never knows what the left hand is doing. We want to dispel that myth. And that starts with having conversations with the people that are in your in your counties, in your regions, in your areas. Um, because there is nothing more incredible than, than wraparound services from a lot of people who know a lot of different things and are all there to, to serve and support the individuals that need it. Thank you so much, David and
2: Tiffany. And as we uh, finalize our interview here, um, can you share any resources for our professional, provincial our listeners and interested others to continue their education on
1: uh, disability populations. Yeah, um, so you know, I, I think that one unique thing that is being done, at least for um, you know, kind of uh, people that that are being supported by county board systems, um, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of things with the Starfire down in Cincinnati area, and they're doing a lot of different things where it looks to build people, build community. Um, or build that community around that person, right? And being able to look at that, that those strengths and those interests of the person and how do we connect that person to those things? Because again, when we look at, you know, some people with disabilities at times, again, this is, so, you know, sometimes they, they don't have a lot of the the structure or their connectedness is more so around kind of paid supports versus more of the connectedness because of friendships or other relationships that they have in their life. So, they're doing some unique work over there so starfire there in cincinnati um also i think some of the for the dual diagnosis aspect of things um there's some resources on the ohio developmental disabilities uh, uh, website and regarding um mental health and kind of dd diagnosis and some different work that's being done there um so and get some resources there for trauma-informed yeah. care and again uh, those are some different things that could, you know, at least uh, at least, kind of provide some of that um, expertise and some things of moving along kind of that trauma-informed timeline or that trauma-informed uh, practice then.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate those resources. So we've reached that time on the podcast where we asked our guests a few rapid fire questions to close our conversation. And this is our listeners' favorite part. So we will start with Tiffany first.
0: Would you rather do the laundry or do the dishes? Uh, I don't mind doing the laundry, as long as I don't have to fold it. That's the caveat. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah.
2: David, what about you? Laundry or dishes?
1: Um. I, I would probably do the laundry and then do the dishes as the laundry was getting done. So, um, but oh, so I, 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 would probably do the laundry.
2: There you go. The multitasker. So David, this next question, will start with you. Do you typically find yourself on the front lines of a crisis or helping from the background?
1: So I would say, uh, probably more so in the background, um, I, Yes, that's kind of where I'm at at this point in time. I I help to provide some guidance and those kind of things. So probably in the back back line.
0: Uh, Tiffany, how about you? Uh, I prefer being on the front lines. Uh, Quick note, back in 2017, when Hurricane Irma hit Florida, I was asked by the Red Cross to come and serve as the Disability Integration Specialist for the entire response Uh, for the state. I loved being in the field. I loved being in the field, uh, but alas, I was I was uh, brought in for the emergency operations center, which is the back end stuff, the the behind the scenes stuff. No less important, mind you, but uh, but if I had my choice, I love being in the field. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And this is our last
2: question. And I apologize for the listener with our uh, last guest. I forgot to ask this question and I heard it from you by email. And my mother texted me to say, why didn't you ask your signature last question? So mom, here it is. So we'll start with you, Tiffany. You're reaching into that bowl of M&M.
0: Are you looking for a plane or a peanut? Oh, peanut. Agreed. Unequivocally, right? Yep. Nice, absolutely. What about you, Holly? I am uh, definitely peanuts, and I like them green. Really? Yes, because the green ones taste better. Oh, all right. I'll have to. I'll have to research that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tiffany
2: and David, for sharing your time, your experience, and your expertise with us. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on the Ohio Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Prevention and Promotion Podcast, Prioritizing Prevention. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or send the podcast to automatically download on your favorite channel. To catch all the latest from the Center of Excellence, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Facebook at OHPreventionCOE. Or visit us at preventioncoe.ohio.gov to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Thank you to all the folks who work behind the scenes to make this podcast super amazing. I appreciate you
0: all. This has been the Prioritizing Prevention Podcast. For more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Apple Music, and many more. This program is funded by Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services. And for more information about us, please visit preventioncoe.ohio.gov. Thank you for listening.